from uh, tonight's satsang. I'd like to begin, as I always begin, by quoting Baba, Baba Muktananda, who would begin every program by saying in Hindi, With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. We get caught up in all the niceties, the philosophical and technical niceties of spirituality, and we lose sight of the big picture, which is simply love. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you all. <clears throat> and I have a quote here from Sri Aurobindo, the great 20th century philosopher of yoga, from his book, The Synthesis of Yoga. It's a very, uh, I challenge you to read it. <laughs> Let's just say that. <clears throat> it's auditory. <laughs> it's, a, it's a auditory book. <clears throat> he says, the movement, <clears throat> the movement of nature is twofold, higher and lower, or as we choose to term it, divine and undivine. The distinction exists indeed for practical purposes only, for there is nothing that is not divine. That's interesting, him saying that. He's saying that in the highest sense, everything is part of the one, the one stuff, the divine, consciousness, God. It's all part of it. But we do make this distinction for practical reasons, because in living practical life, there is a very big difference between the divine and the not divine. So he says, but for practical purposes, there is a real distinction. The lower nature acts through limitation and division. It is of the nature of ignorance and culminates in the life of the ego. So there's a force in the universe that we know very well that is always contracting us, making us feel lack, making us feel bad about ourselves, making us feel dissatisfied with our life situation and so on. He says, but the higher nature, that to which we aspire, acts by unification and transcendence of limitation. And it is of the nature of pure knowledge and culminates in the life divine. So at the same time that there's a force moving in the contracted downward uh, negative direction, there's also another force moving in an upward expansive direction. <clears throat> the passage from the lower to the higher is the aim of yoga. So that's what we're about here, is to move from that lower force to the higher. We call it the upward shift here. We can call it the spanda principle, the movement of the divine. <clears throat> and he says, and then he gives two different ways this can be done. It's interesting. <clears throat> and this passage may affect itself two ways, by the rejection of the lower and escape into the higher, which is the ordinary viewpoint. So that's the first one. This is kind of the viewpoint of, of Vedanta or Samkhya or some yogis who just want to escape from the world, the complexity, and transcend. That's one method. It doesn't work that well because the world tends to accompany us even to our Himalayan cave. I spent 25 years in a Himalayan cave. 
Brooklyn. <laughs> my, my, what? In Brooklyn, what? There was a Hibana cave in Brooklyn. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm just making stuff up. Um, but the other, <clears throat> um, or the second way, by the transformation of the lower and its elevation to the higher nature. So in this case, you don't escape from the worldly or the mundane, but instead you transform it into God. And of course, that's the tantric method. It's the method of Kashmir Shaivism. That's the method that uh, Baba taught, the method of finding divinity in life, not having to run away from it and avoid it, but to transform it, to see it as it really is, which is divine. So it's a great quote I thought I'd share. But it's not about Aurobindo tonight. I know you're disappointed. <coughs> but it's about this dude. <coughs> That's, uh, and it's Baba Muktananda Kirka, Six, uh, 1965. I know you like to say circa, but I say kirka. Uh, so there's one. This is before I knew him. Another one? From the same era. In the hall in Ganeshpuri. And in the third? That was the picture. We had that life size, bigger than life size. Massive picture in the chanting hall, and every time I looked at it, it would scare me. <laughs> but it doesn't have to scare you, it's just my attitude. <clears throat> so, so Baba is the, uh, is the subject. You can, one more. I got one more. Oh, never too many. Uh, one of my favorite pictures of Baba from the 60s. So much presence and shakti, intensity, intelligence. Anyway, <clears throat> so back around Christmas, I gave a kind of little Christmas present to everyone. So I dug into my archives, and I plucked from the Guru Devani, which is the magazine that Amma, Amma Baba's uh, assistant uh, used to put together once a year with stories, devotees' stories, mainly about how they met Baba and what's happened then, wonderful stories. And I found one um, by a, a Brahmin named Hari Prasad Vyas, who I had a connection with of some sort. And it's a charming, charming story. So uh, I was going to read it the second week, too. But Salochana was going to India, and she forced me to wait. <laughs> and she's just back from India, and she could barely get here tonight. <coughs> But she forced herself because she knew I was going to do it. So there you go. <clears throat> so, um, uh, so what do I want to say about this? Did I tell you about uh, uh, my connection with him last time? Do you remember? About the reading that he gave me, the astrological reading? I didn't tell that. Some people think. Are those who know, tell those who don't know. <laughs> you know that Sheikh Nasruddin story? Huh? Yeah, you did say. I did, uh, that night? Huh? Yeah, that's right. All right, I won't tell you then. 
So, okay. <laughs> anyway, I always have felt an affinity for him. I don't know why, but I also, he was kind of a loner. He came from South India, from Hyderabad, and he came and he would always wander around. And I loved his chanting, and he was kind of a solitary. He didn't speak English. But one day, uh, Baba told me that I should get an astrological reading from him. And a lot of the Brahmins do astrology as well. He, he was an astrologer. And I thought, what the hell? And so I went and I heard this astrological reading, knowing all the time, without a doubt, that Baba had told him something to tell me. <laughs> call me paranoid or call me realistic. <laughs> so I listened carefully to it. And he said, you'll go to Australia and it'll be very good. No, no he's, he's, at one point he said, he said, and you know, you're, according to your chart, if you stay in the ashram, that'll be very good for you, very good renunciation. If you stay in the ashram. And my, I went, Bing! this was the message Baba wanted to give me. So anyway, this is Hari Prasad Vyas. I wish I had a picture of him, but I couldn't find one. Uh, but I'll summarize the first part. I've read the first part. Uh, he met Baba in Hyderabad, which is South India, south of Ganeshpuri. Um, he was very impressed by Baba. He had a conversation with him about meditation, spiritual experiences, and memorably, he asked Baba about Shakyanupat, what he called Shakyanupat. Uh, and Baba said, you should say Shaktipat not Chakyanupat, and he asked him if it existed, and Baba said, yes, it does exist, and he pointed to a few people who were sitting around, and he said, see, they've received this power, Chakyanupat, of course, the awakening that the guru gives, and that Baba received powerfully from his guru, and that he liberally gave around the world. <clears throat> Baba explained to him that the guru can awaken the Shakti in anyone irrespective of caste, creed, color, or country. It depends on the readiness of the seeker, how much you can absorb and how much you can work with it. <clears throat> and here's a little excerpt from it. He says, pointing his finger at me, Hari Prasad writes, he said, this very Shakti is going to envelop you. <laughs> Baba said, great moment, isn't it? This very Shakti is going to envelop you. And he writes, I cannot even now describe the kind of joy which I experienced in my whole being at that very moment. In other words, Baba, they say that you can give, the Guru can give Shakti but by touch, by look, by word, or by thought. So by, by word, he gave it to him just in that way. <clears throat> My face became red as if my entire life force had rushed to my head. My mind became totally blank. <clears throat> Baba drew other people's attention towards me and asked them to look at my face. <clears throat> he then turned to me and said, initiation by whispering a mantra in the ear and similar other rituals as practiced normally are mere external ceremonies observed with a view to signify an event. A deserving seeker, in fact, receives the Guru Shakti without any outward ritual. He is automatically affected 
by the spiritual vibrations emanating from the guru, who does not do anything willfully. So it just happens spontaneously around the guru, who is the um, master of the shakti, who holds the shakti, and that shakti uh, emanates. <clears throat> Neither the seeker nor the guru is aware of what happens. For the divine shakti, which is consciousness itself, works of its own accord and its own way. Try to come here as much as possible, he told uh, Prasad, Hari Prasad. <clears throat> Vyas was full of joy. Everything seemed transformed, and he saw with new eyes. He received Shakti an awakening, and it's kind of like psychedelic. He sees everything as shimmering consciousness. He visited Baba several more times, and once Baba pointed his finger towards him and remarked, he drew it to himself. It has entered him. <laughs> so in other words, the Shakti, the, the power, the Kundalini power, had entered him. Vyas didn't understand that remark. Baba gave him a couple of books which explained Kundalini and Shaktipat, and he read them at home, and he was overwhelmed by the Shakti and roared with laughter. Suddenly became crazed in his own home. Uh, and of course, this worried his wife, who didn't know what that was going on. And he wondered who this Baba was and what was going on. And she tried to keep Vyas uh, from leaving the house. Um, but he found different reasons to escape. Uh, and he went right to Baba, who he told about the situation. And Baba said, don't worry, everything will be all right, bring her here. And strangely enough, his wife agreed to come. And she had an extraordinary experience when she heard Baba speak and later when she touched his feet. Then she felt guilty. She gave herself uh, to do some fasting about it. Um, uh, but it was an overnight change. So that was the first part of it. Now we come to his first visit to Baba's ashram in Ganeshpuri. So he's, he's coming up to visit. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Three months later, I visited Ganeshpuri. <clears throat> as soon as I entered the ashram, my head started throbbing with vibrations in the sahasra up here. I felt intoxicated with unprecedented joy. One day I felt my tongue being effortlessly pulled inside and Ketri Mudra. So sometimes the Shakti affects you physically in different ways. Um, it doesn't have to, it can, it'll affect you in one way or another, but, but uh, the Ketri Mudra, the tongue is curled back in and the, the consciousness goes up. <clears throat> I've experienced and am convinced beyond doubt that not only the trees and creepers or the fruits and flowers, but even the stones <clears throat> and the earth, the water and the food at Baba's ashram are filled with a kind of vital energy, prana shakti, which is a distinctive feature of Sri Gurudev ashram. <clears throat> and Baba has been kind enough to make that same situation here. So there's a certain vibration because of Baba's grace in this ashram also. You might have noticed. What's happened? Yeah, what? It could be uh, a Siddha. <laughs> <laughs> it might be Hari Prasad Vyas. <laughs> 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 
You can put them out in the garden. Okay. He's a true seeker. That's it. Well done. Well done, well done. <coughs> you ready? What? That's the vibration. See, that was uh, something. That proves it, doesn't it? <laughs> this experience of mine was later confirmed when I read in the Tantra Sara, which you'll hear about, it's a, a Shaivite book, uh, that crops, vegetation, trees, and animals too can receive initiation. The atmosphere in and around the residence of a siddha is charged with divine power, and any object, animal, or man coming in or entering its field is easily influenced by the subtle vibrations. Even spiders. <laughs> it tries <it> here. <clears throat> I've seen this phenomenon directly at Swami Muktananda's abode. Besides these experiences, I learned many other things during my first fortnight at the ashram. By Baba's grace, I also had the opportunity to see the different aspects of his personality. I came to realize that he could perceive many things. He used, to, he used to clear immediately, in a peculiar way, the many doubts or questions that arose in my mind. He did this even before I asked, either through his talks or with others, <clears throat> or through discussions among fellow seekers. This used to nonplus me. One day I thought, I'm a family man. Baba is a sannyasin. Why should I accept him as my guru? My father has given me a mantra. Why is he not my guru? I've got, I've got books. I can even read scriptures directly in Sanskrit. They will guide me on the spiritual path. Why should I have another guru? <laughs> the next morning as I sat before Baba, he suddenly started saying that there are many types of gurus. The mother, father, school teacher, and professor in college are all gurus, but only the one who can awaken the inner shakti of an aspirant by mere touch, glance, word, or will could indeed be called a guru in the real sense of the term. I was instantly convinced by these words and felt reassured. Another one, I'm addicted to tobacco, but its use is prohibited in the ashram premises. <clears throat> One day I could no longer restrain myself, so I closed the doors of my room and chewed tobacco. He chews tobacco. <clears throat> anyway, who was going to know about it in such a big ashram? But surprisingly, that same morning, when we were all sitting near Baba, he said to someone, chewing tobacco in an ashram is undisciplined and a breach of rule. He looked at me and remarked, isn't it so, Panditji? His wife. <laughs> no, I immediately, I think, decided that uh, Govindananda. <laughs> it's all a miracle. I was nonplussed and could not reply yes or no. He wasn't ready to confess. 
Many such incidents have assured me of his power to see whatever he wishes. Before coming to the ashram, I had a desire to become rich. I had heard that, uh, that Baba's guru, Swami Nityananda, had made many paupers wealthy by his mystic powers. <clears throat> the astonishing thing that happened in my case was the moment I stepped into the ashram, I felt as if someone had applied the brake to these thoughts and had sealed and locked my desire to become rich. As I calmed him down. Knowing my feelings, Baba gave me apt advice on the day of my departure. He said, a person who smilingly accepts and endures the pains and pleasures of life as a result of his past karmas ultimately becomes free from all impurities and faults. That's a very interesting thing that your karma presents itself as different experiences and if you, if you accept them, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do something about it, but you accept it philosophically and calmly and then they purify you. Baba says, therefore accept life as it is cheerfully and if you truly wish to be wealthy, earn the wealth of Shiva Namasmarana, remembrance, remembrance of the name of Shiva. So say the mantra, you really want to become wealthy, become a member of the Millionaires Club. <clears throat> if you wish to renounce, renounce the feeling of mine and thine. If you desire to merge into something, merge with the highest in nirvikalpa state. So Baba is taking all the desires or fears up an octave to the relationship with the divine. Since then, these words of Baba's have become my gospel, a burning passion in my life. During my stay in the ashram, I felt as if the accumulated dirt of my past births was being removed. Formerly, I was very proud of my learning. This is sort of goes with the territory of being a, a Brahmin uh, priest. <clears throat> I'd had occasions, uh, I had given discourses on Srimad Bhagavatam on many occasions. And Srimad Bhagavatam is a, a, a text, an ancient Puranic text on Lord Shiva's, uh, Lord Krishna's life. Uh, it's the story of the gopis and Krishna, all that stuff. And, uh, and so sometimes these are recited, uh, various um, pundits can recite the whole of a text over several days, like a sapta, they might recite the whole of Yanashwar or the whole of the Gita or the whole of uh, the Bhagavatam and so on. <clears throat> anyway, so he used to do that. The listeners looked at me with respect and had good words of praise for me. All this had inflated my ego. When I stayed for some time in Baba's company, it was as if I was completely purged of that ego. Story. It so happened one day that Baba asked me to compose a poem in Sanskrit. I composed, I composed one the same evening and showed it to him the next day. I was expecting a word of praise from him. But to my utter disappointment, he pointed out many mistakes, rejected it, and told me to write again. <laughs> my ego was so shattered that I could not rewrite. Thus my ego was knocked out cold now and again. I don't know if that's a good story, but it's good for us. <clears throat> I also realized that an aspirant 
who is lacking in patience and perseverance and is sensitive and weak can never stay for long in this ashram because the ego-killing methods may prove unbearable to him. <laughs> uh, so patience and perseverance. Uh, Sai Baba of Shirdi, uh, if you go to the, the Sai Baba temple up here in Mordialik, very cute little Sai Baba temple, and it has these two words, Shraddha and Saburi. And he used to say that all the time, which, which are basically faith and patience. Faith and patience. You need just these two qualities, it's all you need. To keep the faith and just have the patience and, and the application. Do your practice and don't waver in your faith. <clears throat> he says, but uh, you need to have those qualities to stay in the ashram. Uh, here he says, your ego is attacked at every step. False pride dies. Book learning becomes ineffectual. Intellectual knowledge becomes bankrupt. And money or social position turns pale before the vast ocean of Chaitanya, the ocean of consciousness, which not only pervades everything in the ashram, but overflows and embraces even the casual visitors. <clears throat> this Chaitanya, this consciousness power, is nothing else but Baba's Shakti, which does the cleansing quietly, destroying slowly and silently a person's vasanas, that is, the undesirable tendencies of his mind, without his even being aware of it. So everyone has certain vasanas, tendencies of the mind. Some have a tendency towards anger, some towards paranoia, some towards depression, some towards self-hatred. These are negative tendencies. And as you practice, you do inquiry, you do the mantra, and you attend satsang, these vasanas are decreased. And then you look back and you see that, you know, I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm not as paranoid as I used to be, and so on. That's what he's talking about. Similarly, he says, a man's vices, bad habits, and his passions, like greed, jealousy, etc., are mysteriously washed away, so to speak. The ashram is a place where, and then he quotes uh, from, the, from a, a Sanskrit poem called The Universal Prayer. Uh, the wicked becomes noble, the noble gets peace, the peaceful become free from bondage, and one who's already free acquires the power to set others free. And he says, this is no exaggeration. Baba does have the capacity to make others like himself. He says, every time I've stayed at the ashram, I felt that Baba was teaching me the spirit of surrender. Since childhood, I'm of an independent nature. I've never cared for anybody. I never like to accept anybody's authority and will act according to my own will without listening to anyone's advice. Therefore, I found these new lessons very difficult in the beginning. But Baba's very patient. <clears throat> when I have a mind to stay in the ashram, he would tell me to catch the evening bus and go. In the evening, as I come up to him to take his leave, he'd say, no, not today, go tomorrow. <clears throat> Thus he was testing my patience and my degree of willingness to accept his words. As I passed through such tests and trials, I came to understand the greatness of Guru and also the significance and difficult nature of Guru Bhakti, 
of devotion to the Guru, to hold that feeling despite what tests might arise. Along with this, I also came to know by experience the power and potency of the Guru's grace. Sometimes I used to feel, I am God, I am everywhere. There is nothing else than me. <clears throat> I was in this way experiencing the pure I-ness in all places. This type of feeling still comes off and on. So in, in all this, not just a grind, but sometimes you would have an ecstatic experience in which he'd say, I am Shiva, I am the self, I am Brahman, I am God, I am. And he'd experience that self and he'd dance around quite unseemly manner. And uh, he says, the undesirable passions like anger and greed are almost pacified or become momentary. I feel as if my thirst of numerous paths past births has been quenched. Sometimes mentally I become blank and do not know what to do. And yet I experience a happy, tranquil state like the one described in the Gita. He expects nothing, is pure, resourceful, unconcerned, untroubled, and indulges in no undertakings. It's a quote from the Bhagavad Gita. You're in that state of pure contentment. <clears throat> Now, Baba has suggested I should read the tantric scriptures, including the Shiva Drishti. Now, the Brahmins are usually educated uh, in Vedanta, because it's a Shankaracharya uh, tradition, and so they usually study the Vedantic, Vedanta Sara and other Vedantic texts, and they know that. Very few of them know anything about the tradition of Kashmir Shaivism. And Baba had just come across Kashmir Shaivism at that period, and so he was very enthusiastic, and he saw that this, this uh, proud Brahman needed some Shaivite wisdom to balance him. So Shiva Drishti uh, is one of the early books in Kashmir Shaivism. <clears throat> so he goes on. The reading of these wonderful texts was extremely thrilling. After a few months, I came across the book Shiva Drishti and on reading the very first verse, my joy knew no bounds. It's by Somanan. It's one of the early, uh, the first text is, uh, is the Shiva Sutras. And in the next generation, uh, Somananda is one of the next generation. And he wrote a, a complex philosophical work called Shiva Drishti, uh, which comes down to us uh, in the form of the, uh, the doctrine of recognition. Shiva Drishti means Shiva's vision. How does Shiva see the world? Doesn't see it the way we see it. We see the world as a place where there's pain and pleasure, that we get, get this and we lose that. And the world is like that. But Shiva sees it differently. He sees it as the play of his own awareness, as nothing but divinity. And so to take on the Shiva Drishti is to see God everywhere and to be in bliss. So he says, I read this first verse and I, my joy went mad. It explained what I was experiencing in my inner self. I felt like dancing with joy. So here's where he really loses it. I closed the doors of my room and with tambura in my hand, which is the, uh, the instrument that Saraswati plays, <clears throat> I really danced a little while. I probably closed the doors because I'm still imperfect and lack maturity. That's a very funny line. He got embarrassed. So he, was, he didn't want to 
dance in front of everybody. <clears throat> Here's the verse from Shiva Drishti, which inspired this fit of dancing. It may not do the same for you. But on the other hand, it might. So don't jump up if it does, you know. <clears throat> Here's the verse. Uh, let Shiva, who has merged himself into us and who has expanded his own self by his own power, bow to that supreme Shiva for the removal of obstacles which are actually of the nature of his own self. That's it. The Shiva who has become us, bow to Shiva who will remove all the obstacles which are really only Shiva. That gets you dancing? Or would you rather have, I can't get no satisfaction? <laughs> this means, he says, that you, who are Shiva in your personal form, should bow to the supreme Shiva. And he finishes this way. One who wants to experience and see the supreme play of consciousness should come to Sri Gurudev Ashram, where one sees Baba playing the different roles of father, mother, child, military commander, architect, gardener, cook, etc., at the same time and still remaining detached from all these activities. It's a pleasure to see him manage the affairs of his big ashram so effortlessly as if it is his lila, his sport. I bow to his greatness again and again. Like that? <clears throat> so you can come to this ashram, which is here by Baba's grace, or come to Ganeshpuri when we go next, uh, next year <clears throat> and go and visit that very place. So that's, uh, how's that, Salochana? Thank you very, very much. You like it? Was it? He said sorry to make everybody wait. <laughs> oh, that's right. You'll have to wear that karma. <laughs> but you know, waiting, waiting, waiting makes it sweeter. Right? Okay, very good. Thank you. It was wonderful. That's great. That's great. There's so many treasures of Shakti, you know, hidden in in the archives. Uh, it's wonderful. I wonder what happened to, to Vyas. He must be, have shuffled off this mortal coil by now. He'd be quite elderly, uh, but it's great. Anyway, we'll meditate now. And we'll meditate on the self. Well, I should say something about the, uh, the concert tomorrow that's connected to uh, uh, Ganeshpuri in some way that um, <clears throat> uh, the, the, the player, uh, Vinay Desai, is uh, a devotee of um, Mahamandaleshwar Nityananda, and he's from a lineage of families of, of devotees go back to Baba. And uh, his wife is the daughter of old friends of mine from, from Baba's day, uh, and so it'll be a great uh, coming together. And he's uh, he studied uh, Santur, which is this extraordinary instrument, studied for many years with a master, and so he's going to be coming tomorrow to play, so I look forward to that. 
very, very mystical and meditative um, instrument. But let's meditate now. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. And the goal of meditation is to contact the inner self. And in practical terms, that means to contact that spanda principle, that vibration of upliftment, of energy, of joy, of love that exists within everyone. A lot of times we feel, oh, I'm depressed, I'm bored, different thoughts like that. But behind that depression and that boredom, this vibration exists. And sometimes our mind creates stuff that is an overlay and obscures the connection with that vibration. So in meditation, we have to clear away the dross, let the mind become quiet and feel that vibration of the self underneath it. I guarantee you that that vibration is there in every one of us, no matter the tricks the mind plays. That power, that vibration is always there. It never fails. It's always there. It's we who fail it by not seeing it, by not finding it, by not looking for it. And so let's meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, great respect and love. I welcome you all with all my heart. Thank you, Nat. Maharaj Kijay.